This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, my name is Daryl Ong and tune in to Bar None, the show that brings you through the ins and outs of the sporting world. Last week, the announcement of the ESL European Super League shook the footballing world and was leaked just before the plan to reform the UEFA Champions League was due to be unveiled. Less than 48 hours later, the entire plan collapsed spectacularly with clubs responding to the massive backlash received. The short-lived ESL proposal has left a mess behind causing a lot of despair and panic around Europe and will go down as two of the most chaotic days in footballing history. However, the question must be asked on how legal is this process and are we back to square one as this whole episode exposed a flawed European competition system. Sports lawyer and member of the Malaysian Bar, Richard Lee, joins us on the programme this week. I would actually go as far back as two, three years ago when there were discussions about a proposed independent league among the major European clubs. Um, there were disagreements in terms of the financial uh, distribution of income from the Champions League, which of course is a cash cow in, um, in European football. Uh, so they started from there. And then uh, if you recall, I think about a year ago or two years ago, I stand corrected. There was a this big picture or big dream project uh, where even at the time uh, Premier League clubs actually, in typical Malaysian word, they scolded the the, <laughs> the big clubs. They said, "How could you do this?" And I, I recall, uh, uh, some of you who follow me will know I, I'm a, f- a fan of Everton. Uh, my club actually told off those clubs and demanded an apology from them. That was about a year or two ago. So what happened the other day, um, I'm actually not surprised, Terrell, but I'm kind of surprised with the timing of the announcement. Uh, Now at the moment, of course, we are going through the repercussions of the withdrawal of all six English teams, uh, leaving only the uh, Spanish team. And I think Juventus is still still there. Yeah, Yeah. they haven't formally made an announcement to pull out yet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you know, like you mentioned, you know, six of the Premier League teams, the top six, uh, the so-called top six, they were kind of in a race to re- withdraw from the ESL. Um, I guess the, the the mindset and thinking then was, you know, the earlier we pull out, the backlash will be easier on us. Kind of backfired on them, didn't it? Yeah. If you look in um, uh, non-sports law point of view, outside sports law, I think it was a PR disaster. Mm. Uh, but of course, there's some contentions in Europe I've been following on, on blogs and Twitter. It was a strategy to force uh, UEFA to re- revamp the Champions League, which they did, and uh, giving more money to the players, uh, to the clubs uh, participating in the new Champions League expected to roll out in 2024. That's right. So one side of the contention was, oh, you know, it was a fantastic PR move to force the hand of UFA. But I kind of disagree. I I think there was a reason for doing that to force the hands of uh, UFA. It was at the massive loss of uh, supporter trust. Uh, And then don't forget, uh, Daryl, sponsorship trust. Imagine if you're the sponsors of the club, you'd be wondering what is happening. Yeah. And uh, even local TV media, it's uh, 
they'll be wondering why you're abandoning us and moving on to another uh, TV media. Because the Super League was going to be uh, broadcast on a, on a different media. That's right. Um, yeah. So uh, I somehow don't think that it was a strategic move. I think it was a genuinely, uh, they, they genuinely wanted to form another league. But it really, uh, in terms of PR spec, Particularly backfired. Yeah, I mean, the some of the club owners have come up to say sorry, even, but it feels like sorry isn't enough. Yeah, I saw. I think the Liverpool owner right. uh, mm-hmm. came up and say uh, sorry. Mm. Um, uh, well, uh, you know, before we say things like sorry is not enough and all that, um, I, I think we must first understand why the football fans were so uh, uncomfortable. Uh, and of course, some will say unhappy. It, it is because um, the, these teams wanted to form a league which was independent from the Premier League. And it was a permanent membership, which means, as we've heard many times, nobody was going to get relegated. Uh, it's a sure-stay club kind of tournament, you know. And that defeats the whole idea of playing in the domestic league because these six clubs insist they wanted to play in the domestic league. That's right. Still remain so, in there. Yeah. yeah. So for these fans, even though they are a supporter of the these six clubs, they are not interested to watch uh, a game against Real Madrid every week. Once in a while, it's okay, but not every week. They still want to play against their local rivals, uh, travel down to uh, Brighton or go up north to Newcastle to yeah. have a game. Uh, there, you know, mm. um, and I think the fans, more importantly, was very upset that they were not consulted, they were not informed about this. So uh, to 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 go back to that, we must understand, that. and and that's why it led to that question you posed, Daryl. I think sorry wasn't enough, uh, rightly so. I think what the these six clubs, the directors did, was uh, abhorrent. Yeah, uh, they had total disrespect for the other 14 clubs. Mm. And it's as if the other 14 clubs have no say, no no right about it. Can you imagine if, let's say, you and I are involved in a Academy Award, right? And then th- these, these three or four actors will say, I'm going to be in a category where I'm always going to get nominated every year. Mm. And the rest of you have to just fight it out. How would you feel? <laughs> you cannot have a tournament without a competition. Yeah, that's for sure, yeah. Without competition, there's no sport. Now we're looking this at Richard in hindsight, right? But when it happened during that time, I guess everyone was still like, where is this going? You know, is it going to happen? There was that period of uncertainty, I guess. And for me, for me, I saw it as a game of poker, you know, um, domestic associations, like you mentioned, the, uh, the leagues threatened to kick the clubs out of the domestic leagues. And it felt like a situation of who is going to cave in first. Were the leagues going to allow them or were the clubs going to back out of this ESL uh, tournament? Uh, in your opinion, were these threats ever viable? Because if anything, financially affects the league more than these elite clubs, right? Well, okay, before we go on finance, uh, Daryl, uh, I had this uh, uh, question I asked. It is it, a legal question. Yes. It's an anomaly of the situation. Where if one of these six clubs, in fact, no, sorry, if these six clubs still continue playing in the domestic league, and let's assume the Super League does take place, so we have a situation where um, one of the six clubs, say Arsenal, plays against um, Everton. So for the Everton players, they'll be thinking, okay, what is Arsenal doing here? Even if I defeat them, they will still play in the ESL. Exactly. I, 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 will, I, can, I may qualify to Champions League. I have to fight to qualify to Champions League. 
But this Champions League won't have Arsenal there, won't have Liverpool there, won't mm. have uh, uh, Milan there, don't, won't have Real Madrid there. So, uh, which means I get less money because all the money is going to ESL. Mm. So, the, for the Everton players, they'll be thinking, why? What, what are you doing here? Because even if you finish the bottom of the table and get relegated, you're still going to play in the Super League next year. So, which means if my player get injured, if I'm the manager, I'm thinking my player get injured while playing your player, who's going to compensate me? Because you can still play in, in the Super League next season and I lose my star player for a few months because they got injured by your player. Mm. How, 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 how would that uh, you know, come about? So, uh, so that is the competition part which I think I post to you in our casual chat outside this interview. Uh, but when it comes to financial part, you also heard me saying that when they play in the Super League and assuming all the television money goes there, then there's less money in the other league how, how does this affect these teams here? The you imbalance, know, they, right? The yeah, imbalance. Yeah, massive imbalance. And uh, there were uh, reports that the Super League teams will be guaranteed over 300 million uh, uh, pounds or euro per year. That's exorbitant. Effectively, the club can form not one, not two, but three teams. You know, they can buy Neymar, Ronaldo and Messi at the same time. <laughs> and then they can have six goalkeepers all six the best world-class keepers at the same team. Hmm. So uh, that that would be massive imbalance. Is there is there a, I guess a legal implication to this? You know when 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 the league threatens to pull a club, there's so much history. You know so much history in England, especially. You know normally when clubs sign for these leagues, they put pen to paper. Um, they they sign up for the long term. Were they breaking the rules here, Richard? Well, uh, unfortunately, we don't have access to the specific rules in the Premier League, mm. especially with regards to the participation of the clubs. But uh, my, based on logic and, and uh, relevancy, obviously, logically, when you sign up to play in the Premier League, uh, there will be clauses to say that you're committed to play in that league. Yeah. And to be fair to these six clubs, they never say that they're leaving the Premier League. They say they are committed to the play domestic, to be fair to them. But the whole idea of playing in the league, as we have said a few times, Daryl, is to qualify to something. You know, you, you play in the league to become a champion, or to finish top four to qualify to Champions League and blah, 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 yeah. the other tournaments, right? Mm. So now, if, what are you doing there? What I said earlier, what is these six clubs doing there? You're, you're not going to qualify anyway because mm. you don't want to play in the European uh, club tournaments. Yeah. So what are you doing there? So that that's why I think, um, as many people correctly, legally said so, these six teams have to leave. So they can't play the domestic league anymore because yeah. you're... you're you are taking away places uh, from clubs who are going to play for the real European places. And also in terms of entertainment, right, I guess for the fans, I, many people have predicted if the ESL had gone on, the second team will be playing in the Premier League. Yeah, to be fair, Daryl, that one... Speculation. Read, I think there's speculation. Yeah, uh, must yeah, be yeah. fair to the six clubs or so. I, I think if you interview... I, I happen to be a supporter of not the six club. Yeah. But I think if you interview any of the fans from the six club, I think they will say, no, we will still play the best. And... Probably so, you know. Mm. Uh, but yeah, you're right. The possibility is there. Right. We're looking at his hindsight now. But, you know, I want to ask the question. Florentino Perez said that the whole reason he started up this league was to save football. And now that it's cancelled, has football really been saved now? Is this really uh, football being saved? Or are we back to where we started? You know, like you mentioned, UEFA and FIFA, they also have a short, shoddy history uh, of their own, you know. Do you think the whole ESL drama has exposed flaws between the current European system? 
Well, um, good question, Daryl. I think number one, the ESL have opened up the minds to everybody in Europe and the world of uh, football that we can actually have an independent league to our own. Mm. Now, um, number two, uh, you also must see that uh, when Paris said that, I, I think he was trying to save the bigger clubs because the bigger clubs continue to, in his mind, subsidize the smaller clubs. Yeah. And this is in mind. So he feels that we should earn more money because people log on to Champions League to watch me play. Uh, it is Real Madrid versus, say, Everton. So uh, he feels that everybody is watching, logging on to watch Real Madrid. I, I don't think he's wrong because there are more fans, sure. more clubs. Sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah. for the, the few million, you know, people underestimate clubs like Everton. We have a few million fans all over the world. We will log on to watch Everton. But th- that's what he will think. And he's not that wrong for that. But to say that ESL is saving the, the league, I absolutely disagree. Yeah. I don't think he's saving uh, anyone by himself. I, th- I think his point was also, you know, young people not watching the game or not fully invested in the game as compared to before. You know, um, why would someone watch Leicester versus Villa when you have Real Madrid and Manchester United, for example, right? So the star pedigree, I guess, that's what he was banking on. Yeah, like I said, it's a fair comment, you know, um, uh, that uh, the clubs which has constantly worn things mm. uh, will attract more uh, fan ratings, etc., etc. And he did say that that the younger crowds are more interested in esports, which is actually quite true. Um, but to form ESL to ch- change that, I, I think that's an inaccurate way to solve the problem. Yeah. Uh, I want to talk a little bit now, uh, a little bit about ESL's impact outside of Europe now. Uh, it's no question, like you mentioned, uh, Richard, that elite clubs are aiming to raise their presence in regions outside of Europe, right? So your Africa, North America, um, Asia, for example, right? Um, would the ESL... In hindsight, right, Richard, would the ESL potentially be a good thing for you know all these regions outside Europe where the affinity with the club is not homegrown? Well, um, I, I, uh, for fans outside of England um, or Europe, the for, big, yeah. Uh, yeah, you know. Uh, so if you look at the, looking at these six first from England, I think outside, um, in your words, Europe, um, fans will just follow. They, they, because once you like the club, you will follow the club irrespective of who dons the jersey. So uh, the ESL will probably still attract sufficient attention outside Europe. I think fans from all over the world, if you like uh, Real Madrid, if you like Atletico Madrid or uh, AC Milan, you will follow Milan. No matter what. Uh, no matter what. Mm. Um, so I think they were banking on the television rights, as you know, uh, because there's no way they can earn $3 billion Euros a season purely on tickets. Yeah, right? It has mm. to be on television rights. So uh, so I think they would have done their calculation and realized that, that, that they can do that. One of the reasons I think legally, there are two legal reasons why I think they were daring to do this. Huh? Number one, uh, in Europe, there have been recent cases where uh, games like speed skating and wrestling, professional wrestling, they created an independent league. And when this league was challenged in uh, European courts, uh, it was unsuccessful. So the league went on. This, uh, these uh, uh, 12 clubs, they believe, I, I, I'm, I'm made to understand legally, they believe that their league will be sustainable in Europe because of the structure 
and the legal uh, regulations of EU, which is free trade. Uh, I mean, the Bosman ruling was that, uh, to allow people to move around. Mm. So same thing, they allow people to just form whatever league they want to form. Uh, so UEFA, in a way, is seen to be something like anti-competition. Right. Yeah? Mm. So just example. The second one was very coincidentally, if you recall, uh, Darryl, I don't know whether you remember, recently UEFA said they are going to review the financial fair play rule. FPP, yeah. Yeah, mm. so uh, in fact, they wouldn't relax it. And some even said they were going to abandon it. And so the moment they, 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 UEFA said they want to abandon it, these 12 clubs do this. Mm. Because now they are not governed by any more FFP rules. They can do whatever they want, anything, right? So I, I, I don't know whether there's any correlation in that. It's interesting but, timing uh, for sure. Yeah, interesting yeah. timing, right? Mm. But the first uh, legal uh, point I, get, I shared with you, I am speculating that one of the uh, reasons why these, these clubs were so brazen and brave and confident that they can form an independent league is because there are two cases in Europe, uh, ice skating and wrestling, where independent tournaments were allowed right. or supported by the courts. That was sports lawyer and member of the Malaysian Bar, Richard Wee, on the show this week to explore the aftermath of the ESL drama which happened last week. More of that conversation coming up, so do stick around only here on Bar None, BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, my name's Daryl Ong and you tune in to Bar None, the show that brings you through the ins and outs of the sporting world. Today on the program, we've been exploring the aftermath and collapse of the European Super League, an episode which threw the European football pyramid into turmoil and left more questions to be answered. With 150 years of football, how is there not a more secure legal clause in place that combats rabble breakaways? Is it even possible? Sports lawyer and member of the Malaysian Bar, Richard Wee, shares his thoughts. When you form an independent uh, league like that, there's issue of governance. Yeah. So I'll give an example where many years ago, unfortunately, we had a incident in the World Cup where a player had beaten another player. I, I remember that. Luis, Luis Suarez, yeah. So Suarez at the time was playing for Liverpool and he, he was just about to move to Barcelona. Immediately, he was banned. He was banned worldwide and he couldn't play in any other club anywhere in the world mm. why because their governance from fifa uefa afc and the rest of the other major uh, continental uh, associations yeah. now if these clubs were playing in their private league and something like that happened they're their own FIFA, government yeah fifa uefa cannot control them so then there's also issue of doping how do you control doping then uh, because our anti-doping is connected to the association. How is this Super League connected? They, they can just choose to ignore doping, mm. which actually defeats the whole idea of having fair play, fair game, clean game. Mm. You know? There's no check and balances in the end of the day. Correct. So, of mm. course, uh, I, I concede I do not have the answer because uh, we never got a chance to test it. <laughs> the league is now looking like it may collapse. Yeah. But uh, a few days ago, when uh, this question was first posed, uh, about Super League, my first thoughts were governance. How do you govern such a league? Mm. And how do you govern the players? And if there's a disciplinary challenge, issues, how do you impose uh, rules, etc. Yeah. Et Great point. Um, looking back at when it started, the backlash was 
really full front you know people went out all the, the fans the clubs uh, the media you know everyone just gave it to these clubs uh, they, ESL said they were expecting some kind of backlash but I guess not to this degree and you know even to to a point where politicians had to come on board and give their opinions looking outside of football Richard give us a bigger picture of the potential impact um, ESL would have on these European countries in, in you know social economy well uh, again, good question. Now, many people underestimate uh, the strength of these uh, bigger and more financially wealthier clubs in their local leagues. In a sense that um, the money earned from these clubs, the merchandisers and all that, it does trickle all the way down. To the grassroots, right? yeah. All right. Mm. So, um, and grassroots football, uh, by, uh, uh, by close association or by playing matches against the bigger clubs or by... Uh, 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 even having transfer deals with the clubs uh, is able to gain some uh, benefit out of it. Mm. And and so uh, the, there was a fear that if these clubs form their own ESL, that they'll just trade among themselves and they'll probably just pick the best of the so-called second tier mm. and to join the, this, this 12. And as you heard me saying earlier, they would have enough money to form not one, but three teams. Yeah. You know, there's so much money they can form three teams to play at the same time so they can hold players. They can keep and hold players. So that, I feel, would have eventually have some implications to the uh, the grassroots teams, you know, in outside Budapest or uh, teams who are playing in, in the states of uh, outside Paris, you know. Mm. Th- these teams rely on the bigger teams to earn some uh, extra money. Mm. Yeah. Um, understanding and looking into, you know, ESL's mission, like I said, you know, apart from saving football, their motive and mission is to get the best clubs to play together every week, week in, week out, which in theory does sound intriguing, you know, as a fan, especially a fan outside of Europe. Would this plan have worked out better if one, a better announcement system is set up? And also number two, you know, if this was organized by footballing people with football's interests uh, at, at heart rather than greedy billionaires? To be fair, to call them greedy billionaires, uh, we hard to, you know, everyone is just making a sweeping yeah. comment. <laughs> and I, I don't blame, I don't blame people saying that. Mm. Uh, but I, I think they were just looking out for the best interest of their team. Football is a business out. after all. It was yeah. a business decision, yeah. yeah. I actually don't think even a, a good PR exercise would have saved them. <laughs> because the whole uh, package, the whole idea itself was abhorrent. It, it just doesn't make sense to form an independent league that way. And you can see even uh, well-known pundits like uh, Gary Neville and um, Jamie Carragher, who both you all know openly support Man United and Liverpool uh, respectively. They were vehemently against their own club. Gary Neville even asked the league to uh, demote and deduct points from Man United. Who would have thought Gary Neville saying that? (laughs) But uh, I think it's because they're just so uh, distraught with the whole idea so I don't think any PR exercise would have saved them. Mm. But I think instead, if they really wanted to have a Super League, this is what I would do, Daryl. I would negotiate strongly with UEFA. Mm. You know, and uh, and to give credit to UEFA, they did agree to convert and tweak their Champions League process and program to uh, to give a chance to this uh, bigger club to come in 
more often in the tournament. Hmm. So there were concessions given to them. Damage has been done, Richard. Uh, you know, um, as much as the owners and the clubs are saying sorry, damage has been done, and the relationship between the owners and the fans have been affected. Um, what's in your opinion? What's the best way? Say Everton was in the, the this whole EC, ESL plan, right? What do you think is the best way to you know fix this relationship, or is it off with their heads? You know, what do you think? Well, number one, uh, good that you raised the example. I am so glad Everton is not involved. <laughs> uh, you know, their fans will say, oh, of course, Everton, you were not invited. That's why you didn't feel that way. That is a, a circular argument which will never end. It is speculative point which will never end. But all I, all we can say is that I am so happy Everton is not involved. But if they were involved, then you know what, Daryl? The, the whole board must go, number one. The whole board must go because you have uh, let down the fans. Uh, fans who... Uh, buy tickets to watch a match, buy jerseys, uh, you know, uh, follow Twitter, follow Facebook, uh, which then allow the club to use the numbers in Twitter. So, oh, I got 10 million followers mm. to use that to become a business factor. Yada, yada. All these issues is a massive, massive letdown. Mm. You know, and so the, the board must go uh, mm. if that happens. Uh, or at least some members of the board must take responsibility for this. Then the next thing is, um, I feel the clubs should once and for all have a permanent uh, seat for the supporters in the board. Or in, even if there's no board, at least some sort of a ongoing permanent discussions mm. and uh, 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 what do you call this, conduct and negotiations with the fans all the time. Yeah. Um, I recall many years ago, seven years ago, everything changed our logo. Uh, it was such a disastrous logo that the, the supporters demanded the club that the board resign. Right. The board came up with a massive apology and started to get everyone, uh, all millions of fans to come in and vote for the new logo. So now we have a new batch, as you can see. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's an example of the power of the fans. Yeah. So I think they must engage, that's the word I was looking for, engage the fans permanently. Yeah. Uh, the third one is actually... Uh, I think the Premier League themselves, specifically about the Premier League, they must fix rules to say that once you join the Premier League, means you are the aim of the Premier League is to either not get relegated, become a champion, uh, finish top four or top seven to qualify to Europe. And if you want to form your own tournament, you have to leave. There has to be something in the rule book. Yes, there must be something like that once and for all. I understand there isn't. Uh, I stand corrected. If there's any lawyer out there who knows the law, uh, English law better than me, please share with us. But that's what I understand. Mm. And that should be there. Yeah, coming back to your point of giving the fans the mandate, right? I think in Bundesliga, Bayern Munich, for example, they have a system where it's 51% owned by the fans and 49 um, by by the club owners and CEOs. Um, would, would a clause and a rule like that work in England, especially? <laughs> It's going to be tough like, in England because the culture and tradition in England is very different. I think the closest we can look for is the club like AFC Wimbledon. Mm. I think if you try to, many of you here, you just try to Google AFC Wimbledon, they have a very unique ownership. Mm. And if I understand, a, a Malaysian has a major stake there as a, as a supporter. And it's the, the, the AFC Wimbledon is even owned by the fans. Mm. So this is something we can... So it, 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 my, my point is, it's possible, but unlikely. I, I can't imagine a club like Man United, for example, <laughs> permitting 51% of the club to be yeah. owned by fans. Mm. Um, I, I doubt, because of the uh, capitalism and the 
the business structure of UK, the way it runs. Mm. I think Germans, uh, the the fans, uh, the football clubs are very disciplined. They really, really value uh, the the the, uh, uh, the the views of the fans. Mm. Uh, uh, English clubs don't value it, but they value them differently. Mm, got you. I get uh, your point. Yeah. Do you would you say, Richard, that all this this whole drama is inevitable when billionaires started pouring money into a sport that this is bound to happen anyway? It's a vicious cycle. Uh, uh, let's be frank. Mm. Uh, when Chelsea was bought, many fans were saying, "How can you know Chelsea went out to buy all those players 15, 20 years ago?" Then you have uh, clubs like Man United coming in with a, a owner which constantly pump money in to buy new players. At one time, even West Ham was owned by an uh, Icelandic billionaire. Portsmouth was owned by a, well, I don't know whether he was a billionaire, but he was a very wealthy man. And as you know, the club now are in League One, mm. uh, Leeds United at one time, uh, uh, managed by a very wealthy man. So f- people begin to feel that the only way the club can go up is owned by a wealthy person. And so now to suddenly say, oh, it is because it's a wealthy person, the club is badly run. It's also Understand. not fair. La. There have been some uh, clubs which have been run very well by a wealthy owners. Look at Leicester, for example. Mm. They are owned by a very wealthy Thai family and they are very well run. They're very well organized, you know. Mm. Um, so it, it, it's, uh, that's number one. I don't think it's, it's uh, fair to just sweep everyone out of the way. But I do agree when a uh, owner comes in, like clearly the, the Liverpool owners and the Man United owners, uh, they are there because they want to buy and own the club, uh, like a typical American way of owning a franchise yeah. sports, right? Mm. So they see it as a franchise sports. Uh, and so their loyalty and their uh, relationship with the fans would be of um, a different uh, uh, level as compared to a a British owner owning a British club with a British fan. Yeah, agree. Uh, so it's, it's a different uh, relationship. They, they're still related, but they may not feel as uh, close to the club as, for example, I said, uh, a, a, a owner. And of course, the unique owners from Leicester being a tie, they clearly love Leicester. Mm. So uh, those are, they, they exist, but maybe they are not the majority. Mm, got you. Last question, Richard. A few days ago, the ESL chairman Florentino Perez said that the committee is taking that that ESL isn't dead. Number one, and also number two, that the the committee is taking time to reshape the project and picking out its flaws. Um, do you think the ESL or a form of ESL would resurface in the future? Unfortunately, I think the answer is yes. I, I say so because uh, of the uh, humongous. Uh, potential in media and and, and sports. Uh, imagine just television money, Daryl. The Premier League can earn uh, billions of pounds. Um, what more now if we can actually reach the mobile phone that you and I can watch this anytime, anywhere on our phone. And uh, while before this you can reach say one uh, 100 million televisions. Now you can reach potentially 5 billion people directly on the phone. <laughs> I think it's actually a matter of time. It's going to happen. Uh, it's just that whether the the regional associations like UEFA or CONCACAF or AFC, whether they can take control before somebody else like Real Madrid and Barcelona take control. 
That was Richard Wee, a sports lawyer and member of the Malaysian Bar, exploring the aftermath of the European Super League drama which happened last week. And with that, we've come to the end of this week's program. If you'd like to check out that interview again, you can head over to our website www.bfm.my forward slash bar none for the podcast. Let's get in touch with us. You can tweet us at BFM Radio. My name's Daryl Ong. This has been Bar None, the show that brings you through the ins and outs of the sporting world. Join us again next week only here on BFM 89.9, the business station. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, the business station.